Well, I, I've got in your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin, yeah, wave at me. Okay? In your bulletin, there's an insert that has um, sermon notes. Turn to that, if you will, and, and you'll see a little exercise in your sermon notes. Uh, uh, there's nine dots, and what I want you to do is I want to take a minute, a minute and a half, and I want you to draw a straight line, uh, four straight lines. Uh, put your pen or pencil on the paper, make a straight line through some of those dots, and then another straight line, and then another straight line, four straight lines. Can you connect all of the dots on the page? We're going to take about a minute, a minute and a half. Let's see if you can do that real quick. Not, nobody looks like they're doing anything, but, uh, you know, humor me. If anybody's able to do it, just raise your hand. I'm just curious. We got one. Okay, Bob. Two. How many say it's impossible? Nobody. <laughs> There's a few of you, Spencer. How many were able to do it? Raise your hand. Three? Well, you were in the first service, you stinking cheater. <laughs> Josh doesn't count. We had two or three. How many, oh, how many couldn't do it? You tried it and you couldn't figure it out. Let me, let me show you the solution. Go ahead and put that up there. Ah. Everybody go, ah. See, see, on this little exercise, what we tend to do is we make an assumption about how it needs to be done. And, and, and most people assume... Uh, that to make the straight lines, you can't go through a dot and, and outside the diagram. And because of that assumption, this makes this a very difficult exercise to complete. And this morning we're talking about assumptions. We're, we're talking about how our assumptions affect us. Our assumptions affect us. Uh, th- think about your money. If you think, if you assume you have $500 in the bank and you only have $200 in the bank, and you write a check for $400, what happens? Okay, those of you that don't know, uh, praise the Lord for you. For the rest of us normal people, you bounce a check. And, the, and, and you know, the, the bank does a real nice thing to people that don't have money. They charge them more money. And, you know, you have to pay $40 here and $40 there. So if you assume you have more money and you, try, you spend more than you have, you'll, you'll bounce a check or you won't have enough to pay bills at the end of the month. Uh, or let's ass- has anybody ever assumed that their spouse was putting gas in the car and you got up the next morning and there was no gas in the car, right? Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah, a few times. Uh, you know, assumptions have an effect. And, and not just, you know, f- factual assumptions, but, but it goes deeper than just wrong information. Deep-seated beliefs affect us in the circumstances of life. And, and psychologically, this is called the Rosenthal effect or the Pygmalion effect. It, it, it's ex- expectations affect circumstances. And there's studies that they've done that demonstrate this. And Rosenthal, he studied teachers, and, and they told the teachers that all the kids had higher, higher IQs than they really did. And so they reacted to the kids in that way, and, and it not only did it change how the teachers reacted, well, hello, how are you? Oh, I scared her. You didn't see. There, were, there, there, there was a, a minion over here on this side. It, I'm sorry. She's so cute. 
Um, it affected how teachers responded to the kids, but not only did it affect how the teachers responded to the kids, it responded how the students performed. When the teachers had higher expectations of the children and they interacted with them in that way, at the end of the year, they had higher than expected test scores. Our expectations, our assumptions can affect our circumstances. I saw a news item um, last month, and in the news item, they, they showed people pictures of faces that were expressionless. They, they were neither happy nor sad. They were neither. And, and they played happy music with some people and sad music with other folks. And the people that were perceiving those faces, listening to happy, face, happy music, what they perceive the, the emotion of the person was? Guess. They, they perceived they were happy. And, and it was the opposite. If they were listening to, sad, if they were listening to country western music, you know? <laughs> you know what you get when you play country western music back, backwards? You get your wife back, your dog back, and your job back. That, that's, that's, that's the good thing about jokes. You know, old jokes, if you wait long enough, they become funny again. So if they listened to sad music perceiving these faces, they would perceive that these people were sad. So, so our, our assumptions, our perceptions, what we believe to be true will accept how we view our circumstances and not only how we view our sec- circumstances, but our actual circumstances. But it's not only that, assumptions affect relationships. The, the, the deep-seated assumptions and perceptions that you have will affect your relationship with other people. And sometimes it rises to the level of what we call prejudice, that, that, that you see the color of someone's skin or you see how someone's dressed or, or you know, they, they have tattoos or they have earrings or they have gauges or they're, they're, they're dressed in a certain way or they, they have a political aspirations or a political connection and you see them and you assume things, you presume things about them. And, and sometimes this rises to the level of prejudice. And, and i got to tell you, folks, Christians should not be driven by prejudice. Amen? But, but not only that, sometimes even in our relationship, our closest relationships, our spouse, our kids, our parents, our coworkers, students that go to school with us, our friends, our neighbors, we can have wrong assumptions about them. Anybody ever go home and, and think that your wife is mad at you and so you're kind of braced for the fight and guess what happens? You have the fight, Right? <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we can assume things, we can presume things about other folks, we, and, and it can affect our relationship with them. We, we can assume someone is mad. Uh, you, ever, you ever met somebody that you thought was real arrogant, and then you got to meet them and you realized that they were just shy? <laughs> Anybody ever have that happen? Or, or you assume that they're uncaring, but, but then you, you, you get to know them even deeper, and you, and you realize they, they have a lot of compassion, a lot of passion. When we have these assumptions, it can affect our relationship with other people. Our assumptions about God will affect our relationship with God. So, so that, that baggage, those presumptions, if they're wrong, that we have about God can be a detriment to having the relationship with God that he desires us to have. Now, as... 
as I'm presenting this sermon, as I'm talking about this, I guess there's an assumption in this that, that maybe uh, we, we need to make sure we're all on the same page assumption-wise, <laughs> uh, what we're assuming. My, my assumption is this. God's desire was not just to form religion and getting people to perform certain religious activities and go through certain rituals. God's desire is to have relationship with us. That, from, from my perspective, I, I serve this God of love, and God's deepest desire is to have this deep, meaningful relationship with me. And, and so, surely you could go through rituals and religious activity without, and your assumptions maybe wouldn't make that much of a difference, but, but if it's a relationship, what you perceive about God will have an impact on how deep, how meaningful, how significant your relationship with God might be. So the question for this morning is this, how do you see God? What are your assumptions about God? But when you think about God, when you picture God in your mind, how do you see him? What assumptions, what, 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 what do you think about God? What, what do you perceive about God? For instance, if you think, that God doesn't care about you, then more than likely when you encounter bad circumstances, you will perceive that you were on your own, that you were alone, that prayer doesn't matter because God doesn't care anyhow. If, if somehow in your mind you've conjured up this image of God as this, this cruel disciplinarian that, that all he cares about is punishing you when you mess up, that God's just waiting for you to trip up so he can laugh and, and lash out against you, if that's your perception of God, then when you go through a difficult time, when something bad happens to you, you instantly think, okay, I really made God mad doing something. That This is a punishment. God is... God is is, is punishing me for this. There's a lot of people that see God in that way, and Jesus was constantly combat, combating this in, in his, his dialogue with people. That, you know, they, they'd encounter a blind person, and, and they'd say, who sinned, this man or his parents? And as if every bad thing that happens is because God is punishing us. You know, God, God disciplines, right? Right? There's times God disciplines. But can I tell you this, this morning, every bad thing that happened in your life this week is not God lashing out at you. It's not God punishing you for some sin or some failure. Maybe you see God as the killjoy. And uh, as you think of God, all you can see is this, this higher power that has come to suck all joy out of our life. That, that religion and Christianity and serving God is all about being bored. <laughs> I can remember growing up in churches, and they would say things like, after a service that, you know, is real emotional, they'd say things like, this is what heaven's going to be like forever. And I think, I'll just be honest, I would think, oh man, I hope heaven's just not one long church service. I think that I'm not offended. Say amen. That's true, right? You know that, that all that God wants is people to sit and look at him and worship him and celebrate him. See, I, I think God has more in mind and God is more creative than that. 
Norman Moore. We had him for a revival several weeks ago, and he, he said it this way. He said, oftentimes we perceive God as an authority figure from our past, a preacher, a teacher, a parent, a grandparent, maybe an aunt or an uncle, somebody in our life that we perceive as that ultimate authority figure. And if that ultimate authority figure has been harsh or unloving, and, and sometimes, have you ever experienced discipline where love was not part of the discipline process? You're right, everybody's perceived, had that happen. If you're perceiving God in that manner, you're missing how God wants us to see. So, so what does the Bible say about God? Um, there's this great story, the Exodus story. It's, in, it's the second book of the Bible, the second book of the New Testament, and, and it's called Exodus, right? I've already said it. In the, you guys, are you with me? The Exodus story in the book of Exodus. It's, it's weird. It's in that book. But Israel is in captivity. They become slaves. And, and they end up in Egypt because Joseph uh, goes to Egypt as, as a slave, but he rises to power. And, and after he rises to power, all of Israel joins him. All of Abraham's kin join him in Egypt. And, and things are going great for a while, but then people begin to forget who Joseph was and how significant he was, and they begin to oppress the people of Israel, and they make them slaves. And, and after 400 years, God brings the people of Israel out of the slavery of Egypt through Moses, this great prophet, this great leader. And Moses comes and through, through the use of plagues and persuasion, he, he convinces Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And as he lets them go, uh, and they're in the wilderness, and they come up to the Red Sea, we have this great scene where the Egyptians decide to chase them down, and God parts the Red Sea. And they pass on dry land, and then God brings the sea back over the Egyptians, and, and they're free in the wilderness. And it's this awesome story. Read the book of Exodus. Take some time and glance through it. It's this great story of of God caring for the people of Israel in the midst of the wilderness. And and the interesting thing is how Israel perceives God in, in the midst of this. Israel tends to perceive God as not really caring uh, that God's brought them to the wilderness to die. You hear him say things like this. You know, God's feeding them. They're, they're not having to do anything. God is bringing manna delivery every morning. You know, they get up and the food's there. And they're saying things like, well, we had not had much eat meat to eat lately. You know, they're complaining about everything. They have this perception of God that he really doesn't care about them, that, that he's just trying to oppress them. And anytime they, they, they can do what they, they can get away from, from Moses, they, they, they try to do their own thing as if God is trying to assert just control over them. They, they don't have a right assumption of God. In Hosea which is written many years later, it gives us God's perception of the children of Israel during this time of Exodus. And God says this, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. Egypt, I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the bells and and, and burning incense to idols. But yet it is I who taught Ephraim, another word name for, for Egypt or Israel, to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with the cords of a a man and with the bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. 
God gives this amazing imagery of, you remember when your kids were little and they, they needed to learn to walk? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember yesterday, okay? <laughs> Ohio State didn't lose yesterday, did they? No, okay. They lost their quarterback, though, didn't they? Can we say together, what a dingbat to do that. <laughs> amen. That's the most amens I'll get all day. But remember your kids were, were little and you, you wanted to teach them to walk and, you know, you, you'd grab them. Some, sometimes they'd grab both hands and they'd, you know, they'd walk like that. This is the image that God's given them, the image of, of this heavenly father, this heavenly mother that just loves his kids and is just trying to teach them to walk and live on their own. And, and the ideal, God said, but, but they just kept chasing after the bells. Now, now, the bells are not one particular idol. This, these are many idols. These are the idols of the day, <laughs> the fashion of the day. Man, there's a, there's a lot of application for us, isn't there? You know, God's saying, you know, I, just, I, love, I love you so much. Let, let's put it in our context. I love you so much. I'm just trying to teach you to walk. I'm just trying to get you to be on your own. I'm just trying to grow you up. And, and you're following every fad that you see. You know, what, whatever the next fad is, that, that's what you're, oh, that's, that's better than God. <laughs> and God's saying, you know, I love you like you're my kids. John who's this apostle of Jesus. Let's flash forward 2,000 years, and, and Jesus has come. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is fully man and fully God. It is a mystery. I can't explain it to you. <laughs> he was perfect. He was sinless, and yet he was all man, all God. Jesus comes, and, and he, he lives, and he teaches, and then ultimately, because of this divide between us and God, you know, God's got to lift us. He loves us. He desires relationship, and because this relationship is broken, Jesus pays this ultimate price and dies on a cross. Not because God is just mean, but because God is love and God is trying to restore us into this relationship with him. And so Jesus, our brother, comes and dies on a cross. And then three days later, he he is risen from the dead. God raises Jesus, who was dead for three days. God raises him from the dead. And, And you know the significance of that is we gather on Sunday because it was on Sunday, the first day of the week, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so every time we gather as a church on a Sunday morning, there's nothing wrong with other times together, don't, don't mishear me here, but when we gather and when the church is historically gathered on Sunday morning, we're saying we are here because Jesus rose from the dead. And so Jesus rose from the dead and he brought life. And in his, in his death, And in his resurrection, there is forgiveness and restoration. God has paid the price for our sins. We can be fully restored in Jesus Christ in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we have life. Boy, that's a pretty good thing. And then many years later, this Apostle John, who's with Jesus from the beginning, uh, John seems to be, from, from what you can tell in scriptures, John seems to have been one of the disciples of John the Baptist that begins to follow Jesus. So, so this, this guy's followed Jesus from the beginning. And, and it's many years later that he writes his book. See, John lives, all the other disciples are martyred fairly early. 
And, but, but John lives to a ripe old age. They don't martyr John. They burn him in oil. <laughs> Who wants to be burned in oil? Unless you're laying on a beach in Florida with oil. Uh, you don't want to be burned in oil. And then they, they exile him to Patmos. And John lives to be an old man. And, 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 and there's legends of John where, where, where they're carrying him from church to church. And he's feeble and he's elderly. And, and as he's being carried in these churches, he's, he's saying things like, Oh, love God. God is love. Love comes from God. Oh, brothers, love God. <laughs> but, but he writes many years in, in 1 John 3, 1, this scripture. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. And really, this translation doesn't give the emphasis John is giving in this ideal. It's it's like this old man John is just blown away that God has not called us to be slaves, but he's called us to be children. See, the the people of Israel thought, well, you know, we're, we're going from one slavery to another, the slavery of the Egyptians or the slavery to God, but that's not what God sees. God's not calling you to slavery. He's calling you to be a child. So how do you see God? There's this great image, and go ahead and put that. You guys remember this image? This is from life, and of course, that's John F. Kennedy and... And uh, John F. Kennedy's president of the United States from 1960 to 1963, November. I guess it'll be how many years? 42 years ago he was assassinated? 52? Somebody can do math in here, right? 50. It's 52 years and 63, so it's 52 years ago. This is John Kennedy. Of course, he's president of the United States. He's the most powerful man in America. He's the most, probably the most powerful man in the free world and probably the most powerful man in the world. And, and this is uh, John Jr., John John, they called him. And uh, John John died several years ago himself in a plane crash, right? And, uh, but, but this is him under his father's desk. And I always love this image because to everybody else in the room, this is President Kennedy. This is Mr. President. This is the most powerful man in the world. This is a person to be feared and obeyed. This is someone that you have to reckon with, that you have to treat with respect and honor. Uh, But to John John, this is Daddy. I want you to know this morning that God invites you under the desk. He invites you to be this image. He invites you to approach him as daddy. Oftentimes in the scripture, it it connects those terms. It uses the word Abba, Father. You can approach him as Abba, Father. And Abba is this intimate phrase, Daddy, Father. How do you perceive God? Scripturally, God is perceived in this way, presented in this way. God is our loving, heavenly Father, Dad, Daddy. And His greatest desire is a love relationship in which we fully experience Him 
and fully experience and love each other. You know, when, when the Bible talks about God is love and, and that scripture that I read, see, it, it's the highest ideal that, that we would live in this awareness of a God who loves us so proud, for, profoundly and we love him back. But not only do we love him back, by living in his love and, and, and loving him, we learn to love each other. And there's this profound invitation that God extends in his scripture to, to really love him and love each other. To that end, God will draw, he will reveal, he will discipline us from time to time. Anybody ever been disciplined by their, their, their earthly father? <laughs> yeah? Well, your heavenly father sometimes disciplines us, not because he's mad at us and just wanting to punish us, but he wants to draw us ever closer to him and ever into the relationship that he has in mind for us. You ever hear the story of the prodigal son? Anybody hear that story? Yeah. Bob? Okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to do another. It's a test I have to do every so often. If you're a guest, I'm, you know, don't be offended, but I just want to make sure. If you have an arm this morning, raise it. About two-thirds of you. You know what I found as a preacher? If I said, if you raise your hand, I'll give you $100, there'll be one-third of you that won't raise your hand for $100. I just, I just know that's okay. But in the story of the prodigal son, it's, 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 a, it's a story Jesus tells to illustrate a point. And he says there's a father and he has two sons. And, and apparently he's a, a father that has a little bit of wealth, some money. And the youngest son says to the father, just give me my inheritance so I can go and have a good time. In essence, what he's saying is, I just wish you were dead. I, that's what he's saying. I just wish you were dead and would just give me my money. And so the, the, the father gives the youngest son his portion. And the scripture says, Jesus tells in his story, that the youngest son goes out and he spends it all. And he wasted on wild living. He's having big parties, having a good time. Why? Because he perceives the father as somehow limiting the joy. You know, I talked about these perceptions of God. The, the younger son, I believe, saw God as a killjoy. It's all the father as a killjoy. All the father exists for is to keep me from having a good time. So he goes out and he spends all his money and he's wasted all the money and he, he has to take a job and his job is, and, and you know, you've you got to have a, a Jewish perspective here. You know, to, to the Jews, pigs were unclean animals. It was something they wouldn't even associate with. And this guy's working feeding pigs. You know, the lowest job you can think of having. And, and he's, as he's living amongst the pigs, <laughs> boy, there's a lot of directions we could go there, isn't there? So he's living amongst the pigs. He says, man, the slaves that live at my father's house have it better than me. And so he begins to make his way back home. And as he's way, making his way back home, the whole time he's practicing his apology. Anybody ever have to practice an apology? Yeah, he so says, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, and, you know, you know, I don't deserve to be a son. Just make me a slave. Let me live out in the house, behind the house. Just give me a tent. And, and he's practicing this whole way. And, then, and Jesus says in the story that, that the Father sees him from way off, <laughs> sitting on the back porch waiting. 
It's a powerful story. And the father comes running to him and embraces him. You know, the son begins his rehearsed apology. You know, father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And the father just almost cuts him off. You know, put, put, put the ring back on his finger. You know, you belong to me. Put the robe around him. And apparently in this culture, they always had a fattened calf that they just waited for the big party for. Who's got a fattened ha- calf at home because I was coming over? Okay, so I'll come over later, Sunday. <laughs> and so they, 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 they butcher this fatted calf and, and they have this huge party. I, I saw Judas Smith at a conference. He's a pastor in Seattle. And, he, and, and his punchline for this, this scripture was sometimes you just have to dance. <laughs> Because the next thing he knows, here's this, this sinner, loser son that, that's got all these apologies worked out, all these things he has to do to earn the father's favor. And, and he's on the dance floor with all his friends celebrating because he's back. <laughs> I don't care how far you've went. It doesn't matter if you make movement towards the father. You don't have to earn it. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll celebrate for you, no matter what you've done. I mean, we could stop right there and just ponder that for a little bit. You know, this big party, though, and there's the older brother. And the older brother hears what's going on, and he asks, what's, what, what, what's the big ruckus? He said, well, that brother of yours, <laughs> and the implication is this loser brother of yours, who went and wasted all of his money is back, and that frivolous father of yours is having a big party on his behalf. And so the older brother does what a lot of us would do. He gets upset, and he won't come in. And once again, we find the father leaving and going to the son. But it's the older son. He says, son, what's wrong? He goes, father... I have slaved and I have worked and I have given and you've never even, you've never even butchered a goat for me and my friends. The father says, you don't, you don't understand. Everything I have is yours. Everything. All of it's yours. See, see the younger son saw father as killjoy. The older son saw father as, Lord, I'm a slave. See, in a a sanctuary of of this size, I think it's possible that there may be some on both those spectrums. That that when you think about God, you're you're like the prodigal, and you're just seeing God as the one that's going to take all the fun out of your life. And the father waits, not to bash you over the head and not to make you a slave, but to embrace you as a son and celebrate this son of mine that was lost and now he's found. Unfortunately, though, in the church, I think there's more elder sons that we might as well put a time clock in the back of the sanctuary Because it's punching a clock. It's earning heaven. I've got to do this now because you have a father. He knows your name. 
before even time began, your life was in your, his hands. He loves you. He's not called you to be a slave, but he's called you to be a child. I'm going to ask Amy to come and team to play. I want to give you some space to pray. In, in our church, if you're a guest, we, we use altars quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a place of judgment. It's just a, a, it's a good place to meet with God. And so, you know, you find leaders in our church, pastors. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to spend some time praying this morning because Josh is going to close us in prayer. You find all sorts of people coming just praying at altars, but you don't have to come to the altar to, to, to meet with God. What's the point of all this? See, see I, I think sometimes we go through the motions and we forget what this is all about. And you know, was the sermon entertaining? Was it not entertaining? Was the songs what we wanted or not what we wanted? You know, what, what was there videos that, that captured our attention? The whole point of this, we've gathered for one reason. Let's meet with God. That's it. If, we, if, if my sermon was spotless, perfect, and we didn't meet with God this morning, we've missed the whole point. See, see there's one person. There's one significant person that can create transformation in the life of a person. And it's the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to give you some space. Maybe you just want to pray in your pew. Maybe you want to come to an altar and pray. Maybe you just need to talk to God about the assumptions you have about him. Maybe the Spirit's speaking to you and saying, you know, you think this, but maybe I want you to see this. And so I'm going to invite you while they sing this song. I love this song. I'm no longer a slave. No longer a slave to fear a beautiful New, newer song. As they sing this, I'd invite you if you'd like to join me. And then Josh is going to close us in prayer in just a moment. Daddy, we uh, thank you that regardless of what our previous assumptions have been, uh, whether we've been like the prodigal and, and we've seen you as this killjoy, or we've been like the other brother. We see you as as master and, and a, a slave driver. We thank you for the truth that you are daddy. Who is reaching down, waiting to pick us up to help us walk. Um, you invite us to sit at your feet. Your perfect love. God, forgive us for the times when we make this about a list of things that we do, a list of rules and, and things that we're bound to do, we have to do because you're God. Forgive us for that. Help us to see your perfect love. God, thank you that regardless of how far we have gone in, in, in the, the story of the prodigal, as far as a life among the pigs, working with the pigs. and Thank you that you seek us out. You run to us. You love us and you wrap your arms around us and you, you put the ring on our finger and you, you put the robe around us and you restore us to our rightful position as a child of God. We claim that truth. Teach us what that means 
Teach us what that looks like to live as a child of God. God, for those in here who maybe have never even reached up and accepted you as daddy, um, I pray that today would be that day when they accept your love and they call you daddy. Whatever assumptions maybe maybe may come before this, we pray that you would help them to see you as daddy. And we celebrate with them. We celebrate for the life here and we celebrate for the life in eternity. We thank you for that. Jesus, for those who, of us who have been doing this for a long time um, and, and, and that, that idea that we, we're punching the, punching the clock and this is just something that we have to do because that's what you do and we're trying to earn our way into heaven, would you forgive us for that? Would you help us to see that we are your children and we're invited to sit at our daddy's feet and you run towards us regardless of where we were. You run to us and you wrap your arms around us. Thank you for that love. Help us as we go from this place to live in that love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be dismissed. God bless.